0: John six we're gonna look at John six we're in the middle of a story uh, that we've looked at the last couple of times I've taught in John all right how many of you uh, have finals this week or you've had them last week or in the middle of them all right how many of you have you've made it to the final exam and you go dang it like I think I missed it like my teacher was saying this one thing or these things all semester long and and I, and they were saying and hinting that I needed to know this and now that I'm here like. Ah, I think I missed it. You ever do that? Well, in essence, that's somewhat of a picture of what's going on here in John 6. Um, Jesus is illustrating who he is and, and what he actually is here to do, and yet people are missing it. Uh, the day before our text, we're going to start in John 6, but the day before is uh, the famous feeding of the 5,000, which is really estimated to be twelve to 15,000. And this is where God, you know, Jesus... Takes 12 baskets. This is a pretty impossible feat, right? This is called a miracle. He sees 12 baskets of fish and bread and he feeds 12,000 people with that. So he's just done that. And what he's doing is illustrating in a very tangible way that people can, can touch and feel and taste and see, which you know is why we do communion. Like it's, it's connecting those dots. And he's saying that, hey, listen. I'm the only one and the only thing that can ultimately fill someone and and sustain them. I mean, this is what he goes all throughout John six. He calls himself the bread, like seven different times. I'm the bread of life. So what he's doing is he's making a very public statement to twelve thousand people, saying, "Hey, um, your ancestors—they um, were sustained; their life was sustained by God providing literal bread, you know, manna from heaven that would fall." Well, I'm giving you Jesus, who brings life, eternal life. That's 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 my way of doing bread now. But not only is he making a public statement, he's making a very personal statement to his disciples. How many disciples were there? You can you can be confident, you're correct. Twelve. There were twelve disciples. How many baskets of fish were left over after that? Twelve. I really hadn't hadn't thought about that until I was studying this text this time. I mean, he's making this big public statement about, hey, I'm now the bread. I'm not just going to sustain your life like physical bread. I'm giving you life, eternal life. But to his disciples, there's a very personal message that after the dust is settled and everyone's leaving, he's going, hey, stick with me, serve me faithfully, even when it hurts, even when it doesn't make sense, and I will provide for you. I will take care of you one basket left over for each disciple. Like here, there's a whole basket. That was something that was cool to me. So that happens. And then there's a storm later that night and he sends his disciples on the other side of the sea. He tells them, go get in the boat. I'll meet you over there. I'll see you later. And then a big storm comes up. And you remember, I taught that on Easter. I was illustrating the fact that Jesus sent them into the storm because he knows everything. So he knowingly, willingly said, go in the boat. Yes, it's going to get rocky. It's going to get stormy. My gaze is always upon my people, though. Don't worry. So remember, he comes and, and you know, moonwalks across the water, and they invite him into the boat, and they're over to the other side. Well, the next morning is where we pick up. It's where we pick up in our story. It's this next morning. So, so what has Jesus communicated to us so far in this scene? He's communicated this. I can provide, and I can protect. Put your faith in me, and, and you get me. You get a Savior. Not just the, the circumstantial goodies that I bring, you know, free catfish, but you get me. So let's continue in our story. John 6, verse 22, we read to 29. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. you get what's going on there? They were confused. They were like, wait a minute. Jesus was just here. We saw one boat leave, but he wasn't in it. What's going on? So they get in a boat, and they go to the other side, and they find Jesus there. That's confusing to them. Okay, because they didn't have helicopters, they didn't have hot air balloons, they didn't have jet skis. They're like, wait, how did you get over here? And you remember, he walked over there. So verse 25, When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Father, Lord, may the truth of this text, may the truth of your word, Lord, may people embrace it, and know it and receive it. And, and if that is to happen, it will only be an act of your sovereign grace that opens eyes and unstops ears. I pray that you do that and help us make sense of what your son is saying to us this morning. We ask it only in his name. Amen. Um, I have a love-hate relationship with yard work. Sometimes I don't mind doing it. Sometimes I kind of like it. Sometimes it's therapeutic. Um, you know, I, I, I'm, in a, I'm in a vocation, I'm in a job where you can't see tangible results all the time. And so to, to go to a yard and see it messy and there's weeds and stuff, and then at the end go, ah, there's my work. It's kind of nice. Um, I'll listen to sermons a lot. You know, I'll put my earbuds in and, and, and mow. And so sometimes it's kind of nice and therapeutic. Other times I hate it and I want to hang myself. Uh, from the garage. It's just terrible. It's awful, and I hate it. And I think in those moments where I'm hating it, ultimately the reason I hate it is is this. I know I'm going to have to do it again in like nine days. And so it kind of feels like a waste. You know, it's like, oh, man, it's all it's perfect. It's so nice. It's all even, and the edges are great, and no weeds in the flower bed, and yet it's going to look horrible again in eight or nine days. And so the concept of doing yard work, of mowing the grass, it just seems pointless at times. Because you're going to have to do it again. It seems like a waste. I've just spent you know, three hours doing what, in essence, is going to be erased you know, in a matter of hours or days. Well, guys, the main import from this text, from this story, from, from this encounter with Jesus in the crowd, is really similar to that. Because Jesus, he's looking at a crowd that could be shockingly very similar to the crowd in Grace Van this morning. And he's saying this, you don't seek me, you're not following me, you don't want me for me. You want me because I did some magic and, and, and I got you full yesterday and you're probably just hungry again and you want to see what I can do. As long as you're snacking, on the bread of, of this place, the temporal, the world, you're going to get hungry again and again and again and again. But I fulfill, I endure to eternal life. So in essence, Jesus is making this statement. And, is, and really the context is verse 27 is where I want to spend most of our time. But he's making this statement. A life that's fixated on this life, on the here, the now, is a wasted life. A life that is fixated on this life is a wasted life. Because he calls the bread that we eat here, he says that that's food that perishes. He said that, okay, you get full, but then you're going to get hungry again. And then you're going to get full, and you're going to get hungry again. That is food that perishes. Don't spend your life seeking things that aren't ultimate. That's what Jesus is saying. So I'm going to help you answer three questions with the rest of our time. And I'm 100% convinced that they apply to every single one of you exactly where you're at right now in life. The three questions are this. First, are you working for food that perishes? You know, are you doing yard work, just wasting, wasting your time? Are you working for food that perishes? Second, are you working for food that endures to eternal life? And then thirdly, are you acknowledging Christ's lordship over your heart and over your life? Three questions, I'm going to help you answer them. Let's get started. Are you working for food Perishes. This is the first thing that Jesus tells the crowd after rebuking kind of their half-hearted inquiry. Jesus, whoa, where'd you go? We really want to be near you. How'd you get over here? He does it. I so wish he would have said, yeah, I walked. But he does it. He just ignores their question because he wants to get to the heart of what is going on here. What does he mean by this? What does he mean when he looks at you, when he looks at a crowd of people and he says, you're working for food that perishes, in summary, you're wasting your life. You're spinning your wheels in meaninglessness. Um, I went to the, uh, the Google machine this week, and uh, I typed in, how many Americans are happy with their job? How many Americans are happy with their job? Someone throw out a percentage to me. 46. 46. 65. 65. The correct answer is 13%. of Americans actually are happy with their job. So that means there's more than 100, but if there was an even 100 people in this room, 13 of you would actually not want to kill yourselves waking up before work. 13 of you would go, hey, I like what I do. I feel satisfied with what I do. I like what I do. 13 out of 100. And the normal response you get from most people, most people are iffy. Some can tolerate their jobs. Some hate their jobs. But if you ask one of those people, maybe they tolerate it, maybe they hate it, why are you doing what you're doing? Their normal response, like if they have a family or something, is, i got to put food on the table. Right? You know, I'm just doing it. I I don't like being an accountant, but i got to put food on the table. And that's got to be a little depressing. You know, um, because... It's, it's frustrating to know that, well, I put it on the table Monday night, but then i got to put it on the table Tuesday night as well, and Wednesday night, and Thursday night, and so on. In essence, Jesus is saying this to the crowd. He's saying, don't spend your life pursuing things that have no ultimate significance. And sometimes it's necessary, you know, that, I mean, you have to provide for a family, right? Sometimes it's necessary that you do something that you tolerate or that you just kind of have to do because you do have to pay the bills and you do have to put food on the table. But I look at that and I just imagine how frustrating that could be because it keeps going away, but i got to keep providing and, it you know, how frustrating would that cycle be? Uh, I talked to a student recently who um, one summer interned um, in, in youth ministry here. And then the next summer did something totally different. And he was talking about his experience, just going, man, it just kind of stinks. Like, I feel like I'm, I'm doing nothing of worth and meaning this summer. And last summer, I, you know, I totally was. Um, in fact, one of my best friends uh, in high school, uh, he came over. He was in town. I haven't seen him since my wedding. And we were like really, really good friends in high school. He was in my wedding. And we just kind of lost touch. He He took a crazy path. Uh, after high school, and um, anyway, story's really fascinating, I, I think that God's, I think there's some sprouts of some spiritual life there, and some healing, and some restoration, but it was just a wild story from deep into drugs and alcohol and 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 you name it anyway i haven't seen him in years he stopped by the house he was in town he has a two and a half year old daughter um not not married another part wacky part of his story but stopped by the house and we just sat on the back porch and and, in the kitchen for a couple hours catching up and it was just it was phenomenal um but in essence we were talking about his life i just said dude like catch me up like on the, the last many years of your life and Um, Athlete in high school, good-looking dude. I mean, he labored and worked very hard to be liked and really was um, liked by many people. Um, Had a lot of things that were really going for him. And, And since, I mean, he's kind of moved from job to job, relationship to relationship. And I'm telling you, in his own words, he said, my life has been a complete waste. Like, I really have not done anything, and I've wasted all of my time here on earth. And I was able to encourage him that, well, you're still on earth and it's, and it's not too late and, and speak some truth. But that was him articulating this. And I'm telling you, he was like any of you. I mean, total youth group kid, went to a private Christian school, had everything going, went to an SEC school. Um, and he's articulating that he's, he's really wasted his life to right now. I want you to take your church hat off for just a few minutes. Take it off. Okay? I'm not a guy who's dressed up and, and, and speaking to you like, oh, this is a church. I want you to take that off. I want to ask you something. What are you living for? I mean, like, honestly. Honestly, what are you living for? Evaluate your day. I mean, wh- who are you living for? As you get up and you go through these, these motions and this routine, wh- what is it for? Who are you living for? I mean, honestly, what are you doing that has... Any kind of eternal significance. Something that will matter after you're in the grave. And, you know, I look at the life of a non-believer and it, and it grieves me slash boggles my mind. Because, I mean, you wake up, you get dressed, uh, you, you, you you go to work, school, whatever. You go through the, the pains and the anguish and the struggles of life like we all do. And, and uh, you retire. And then you get to the end and you just, you have to say, what was that <laughs> like like really what was it for what was that was that it and thankfully jesus is offering us something that's that's more that's more than this life because we know that the things of this wor- this world including us including our bodies we know that it will perish And so Jesus is standing before people saying, listen, I have something. It's me. I'm a feast and I won't perish. Get on board with me. And everything that you're doing right now that's just spinning your wheels towards meaninglessness will go away. And things that you say and do and are will matter. Are you working for food that endures to eternal life? That's the opposite Of the first question, Jesus says, in essence, that there's two types of people in that crowd. Some of you are laboring, you're spending your entire life working for something that goes away. And then he says, don't do that. Labor for food that endures for eternity. And so my question to you is, is that what you're doing? Well, what does that mean? What does it mean to work? or labor for food that endures to eternal life. Landon, that sounds like it says that you can earn your salvation. And because you said that, I now loathe you, Landon. No, that's not what I'm saying. Jesus answers this question. He answers it publicly in verse 29, because people, they're they're asking this question in verse 28. They go, "Uh, uh, okay, Jesus, we'll... Well, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Notice how they say, what, what must we do? You know, isn't it funny how our, our hearts are so bent at doing? We just we we don't get this grace thing, do we? We gotta do. We just we we can't get it. We don't get it at all. He says, so the crowd's going, okay, that sounds good. What must we do? to be doing the works of God. And so Jesus kind of turns it on its head and goes, okay, you can do something. Here's what you can do. You believe. I'm the bread. I'm I'm a meal. I'm a a banquet. I'm a feast. You sink your teeth into me. I'm the bread of life. You just believe. You, You taste and see that the Lord is good. Uh, John Piper, he's he's referencing this scene in something that I read. And he says this, listen. Here they are, standing in front of the bread of life, Jesus Christ. The infinitely valuable, infinitely beautiful, all-satisfying, everlasting food that endures to eternal life. Who gives eternal life? And they ask, what kind of works does God want us to do so that we can have the bread of life? And Jesus says, if you don't see the person standing in front of you for who he is, no amount of work is going to make him your treasure. You don't need to do any works. You need to taste and see. Eat and believe. You know, I encounter a lot of parents at times who they're scared for you going off to college or maybe um, their offspring is... In college or past college, and they 're living waywardly, and they try to come up with little solutions. They try to come up with oh um didn't, didn't Chris Luke have a, have a crazy story? Could, could you hook them up and, and get him to tell them about his crazy story and, and, and that'll fix it or could you tell them you know uh, some kind of a, a story of you know a miracle? You know, or just pray that maybe they're walking down, you know, uh, the street or they're walking on a campus and, and the clouds part and, and God just shouts something at them. Or maybe they get a random text message in the middle of the night and, and it's from uh, 777 and it says, you know, follow me. Can, can we just work some kind of miracle? What Jesus is saying here to this crowd is I can make 12 baskets of food and feed 2 billion people. I could walk on water. I could take a guy who's blind and make him see. I could take a guy who was paralyzed for 40 years and, and say, get up and walk and him walk. I could raise people from the dead that you know were dead because they stunk and now they're walking around and you still would miss it. You still would miss it. No, no amount of signs or wonder is going to grab your heart. If you don't see me for who I am Nothing I can do is going to make you treasure that. You see, our gospel is an upside-down gospel. The perverted gospel, the gospel of religion, says this. I do or or don't do, and so God accepts me. That's a perverted gospel. I do things or I don't do things, and so God accepts me. And this is... This is the worldview that we're out to correct. This is the worldview that we're out to abolish. That's not what Christianity is. I do, so God accepts me. Or I don't do, so God accepts me. That's a perverted gospel. The real gospel says this. God so loved me, a sinner, that he gave his one and only son and declared that I'm accepted. I didn't have to become accepted. He he said in justification, okay, you are now clean. You're accepted. And in response to that, now I do. In response to that declaration, now I don't. That's the real gospel. And that's very upside down for us. We're, We're allergic to grace. And this is what Jesus is offering. He's offering him He's offering just him. And he's saying, listen, I'm the bread. Don't you get it? Don't you get what I've been preparing you for? The final exam is now. And I've been telling you this. I'm the bread. Eat. The table is set. It's a buffet. The work is done. Just come and enjoy. Eat. Quit working. Taste. See. Life application. Have you sunk your teeth? Into the gospel. Have you sunk your teeth into the gospel? Not your parents. Not your church. Not your school. Have you. Have you tasted his joy? Have you seen that he's good? Have you actually taken him into your soul? Into your life? And is he Lord over all parts of it? Working is believing. Believing. And believing is simply accepting, tasting, applying, engaging. And what we're going to get to next time is pretty mind-blowing because we can't even believe on our own. Belief is something that's a gift that came only from God the Father. But if he's granted that, it's accepting, tasting, coming before him, stripped naked, saying, I've got nothing to give, I'm broken, here I am, I want to feast. Can that be said about your life? Or are you just nominally religious? They're two very different things. Last point, and that's it. Hey, wake up if you're snoozing, I want you to get this, it's important. I prayed for you and, and prepared for you to to get this, and I want that to happen. Are you acknowledging Christ's lordship? He is Lord. Are you acknowledging it, though, in your heart and in your life? The end of verse 27, and this was a very, very cool point to me. He says something that might not make sense to you upon hearing it. He says, for on him, Jesus, God the Father, has set his seal. Jesus says, I am God's seal. He set his seal on me. What does that mean? Like, like a SeaWorld seal? Or like Adam Sweeta seal? Like, what does that mean, he set his seal on me? On me. Or here's what it means. All right, every time Dr. Young baptizes someone, he, he basically, in essence, says this. He explains how this is not a saving ordinance. That means I'm not saving anyone. That doesn't mean, oh, that baby's now going to be, has to be a Christian. That's not happening, but he says this is a sign or a seal of God's promise. That's what it means. Um, in antiquity, when a major announcement or some kind of edict uh, for a kingdom was to be communicated to the people, at the bottom of a sign, maybe it was a wanted poster, okay? So you're, you're in the town center, and there's a guy who's on the loose, and he's wanted. At the bottom of a poster like that, or some kind of announcement or edict, would be a, this little impression of the royal signet ring that was basically saying, signed by the king. It was a seal. It was a wax impression of the royal signet ring. He would put it in wax, hot wax, and he would press it onto this paper. That was his signature. That was his seal. Here's what it was communicating. Whatever we just put up, um, the town drunk didn't come up with that. The farmer didn't write this and come up with it. The shoesmith didn't do this. The king did it. So it carries weight. It carries authority. It means what it says. This is from the king. Basically, this promise is sure. What Jesus is saying is this. I am God's seal. Here in the flesh to announce, to communicate everything you need to know about him. He's saying he's authenticated me by these miracles. That's all these are. These miracles aren't going to save you. Crazy conversion stories that you hear in a chapel or that you hear on a a thing, that's not what's going to save you. These miracles are just authenticating who I am. I don't come on my own, own authority. God has given me authority over heaven and earth, and I have the authority to forgive sins and to give eternal life to my people. I am the Lord. Am I yours friends, do we acknowledge his authority? Or do we view it very flippantly? Is it optional? I mean, do we scroll through God's promises as haphazardly as we scroll through our Twitter feeds? Yeah, 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 cool, yeah, whatever. Let me close. Uh, Cutting the grass is just something that I have to do. As meaninglessness and repetitive as it feels sometimes, Does your life feel like that? Does your life feel like that? I mean, have you ever really asked yourself what you're here doing and why you're doing it? You're not too young to begin asking yourself that. I know that's something you think like, oh, like when I'm in like a midlife crisis and want to buy like a motorcycle or a sports car or something, then I'll start asking why am I here? What is all this? You're not too young because if you can listen to my voice and hear it and you're not wholeheartedly living under the Lordship of Christ, you're wasting your existence. You're wasting it. I mean, if you ever really asked yourself what you're trying to accomplish, you know what Matthew 16, 26 reads, it says, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Guys, what are you laboring for? Is your life fixated on your life? Jesus makes it very clear to us that if that's the case, and maybe not doctrinally, all of you, yeah, yeah, I'm following Jesus. I'm talking about functionally. Jesus makes it clear that if that's not the case, then our life is a total waste. And listen, the consequences of a wasted life aren't just a stroll into heaven or some kind of afterlife, and I'm like, oh, darn, I I guess I missed it. That's not the consequence It's eternally forfeiting your soul. And yet in God's grace, God offers us Jesus. He offers us His Son. And He tells us, this is the work of God, that you believe in Him whom I've sent. And you love Him and you follow Him and you taste and you see that I'm good through Him. Do you believe it? Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your word because it is what cuts us. It's what pierces. It's what divides us. It's what shines a spotlight on our hearts. Man can't do that. Man can guilt. Man can yell and and, and plan and scheme. But lasting repentance in which we see how awful we are and yet we see how accepted we are because of, of the work of Jesus That only comes from your spirit. And so I pray that you seal, that you press in your signature on our hearts. Announce to our hearts, announce to our heads that the work has been finished. And that our working is is simply trusting and believing and walking in faith. We can't do, nothing we do pleases you apart from your son. So you fill us afresh with your grace, Lord, a fresh supply of your spirit to help us not be fixated on this life, not to work and labor and study and practice and plan for food that perishes, but may we labor for food that endures to eternal life. We love you. We ask these things only in your son Jesus' name.